Hey, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. If you're new around here, I'm Ben, and whoever you are, and you know, wherever you might be in your journey with God, you're welcome here. That you're in the right place. I'm glad you're here. Hey, Mountain. As you know, we meet in many different locations. We're a multiple location kind of church. So why don't we just kind of give a big howdy and hello to, to the whole Mountain family over at Edgewood and Bel Air and Abingdon and Mountain Road and online. Just all say hello to everybody. So kind of fun that way. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope I believe, I do believe that every weekend there's something important that, you know, we have to share through the, the, this part of our worship. But I, I got to say this weekend, I, can, I think I can guarantee you that what I'm going to share from God's word is going to be really relevant to every person. Uh, and you might be interested to know a whole bunch of people have been really excited about this weekend and um, praying, honestly, that God's word would just sink in in the right way. And that uh, it would be uh, changing to hearts and altering to lives. And uh, because I think we're all interested, you're probably here because at some level you want to keep it real with God. You want to keep it real. And, and uh, that's kind of what this whole series is about. We're calling it 100. You've seen this marker, this 100 emoji. Is that how you pronounce it? Emoji? My, my kids laugh at me when I use emojis, let alone, I don't even know, is the J silent? Or, you know, I'm not one of those youngsters, but this is the 100 emoji. And, and it means a lot of things to a lot of people, I've, I've learned. But you, know, you kind of use it just to say, you know what, like 100%, like absolutely, or I'm with you, or keep it real, uh, that, that kind of thing. You can count on me. And Luke started us off last week as we talked about this whole idea about how if you want to have a real relationship with God, then you're going to bring every part of your life into his light and unto him because you trust him enough to sort of really help you in your life. And you can't at the same time then be blocking out whole parts of your life or your world and, and expect God to be able to sort of keep it real with you and, and bless every part of your life. So you got to go in 100%, like literally with everything you've got and trust God. Which is why we're talking about a sort of private area that none of us really like to talk about with anybody other than maybe just a couple of people in our lives. It's very, very private, um, but we got to bring it and keep it real. That's what we do at Mountain. So we're talking about money. We're talking about our personal finances and the way we think about money and how to handle it and, and spend it. And, and even though we like to keep it in the dark, we're trying to say we've got to be open to whatever God might have to say to guide us in this area. And here's what I've learned, and I think a lot of you know this already, but anyone who actually trusts God in this area realizes, oh, it's not, he's not out to get something from me. He's, he wants something for me. And I think there's a whole new level of, of trust and, frankly, joy and peace in this area that a lot of us are going to experience as a result of this weekend because uh, the truth is, uh, this is a trouble spot for a lot of people. Finances are a contentious thing. A lot of us feel kind of insecure about it, like we don't really ha have a good plan for how we manage our money, or we don't really feel like we're ready for tomorrow or retirement. Uh, statistics are saying that a lot, there's a lot of marital tension around this topic. A lot of young people just say, well, maybe someday I'll get around on it. And a all of us, almost everybody feels like, but whatever I have, how much of our income, whether I'm a student with nothing or a millionaire with lots, a lot of us feel like it's not quite enough. And I just want to say, whether you're riding high or running low in this whole area right now, I believe all of us can use the practical help and the biblical wisdom from, from the the principles and the values that are in God's word on finances, and it turns out there's a lot in there. I also know we're up against this whole thing about, you know, um, I guess just the resistance that we feel, especially with the church talking about money, uh, like we're supposed to keep quiet on it in the church, that kind of thing. Like it's a topic that should be off limits. And, and I, I also know part of the reason for that is that some churches, frankly, um, 
some preachers probably handle this really way sort of wrong and, and, and abuse it and, and that sort of thing. And I'm embarrassed by that and sad about that and all of that. But don't let that be a reason that keeps you from hearing. If God actually does have something to say about it, don't let what someone else does keep you from hearing the truth. Because this is a church that is committed to teaching the Bible. And we're going to do that. And Scripture is pretty clear. If you want to keep it 100% real with God, then you've got to bring every area of, lo- of your life. Uh, into the light of God and let it shed light on it. And maybe that's why Jesus talked more about this subject than he talked about any other subject. Did you know that? There must be something to it. So besides, I want to share something with you today that's just, we're going to get real practical here. Uh, And honestly, I'm very excited about it because it's it's a plan that is more than just me preaching the Bible. It's something that means a lot to me and to Carla and I personally. I want to share some biblical principles that someone shared with us long time ago, which we struggled at first, but then eventually put into place in our lives, and it has been awesome. It's been a huge help to us, and they're based on these biblical principles, and it's one of the reasons we don't fight about money, okay? Now, we argue about plenty of things, and eventually then, we, you know, we go, the argument goes, and then I figure out she's right, and then, and then, but on this thing, we actually don't fight at all, and it's because of this plan. We don't have this conflict. This plan is what allows us to have, like, uh, we stay away from credit card debt, and we're we have peace of mind when vacation time rolls around, and uh, we, we can afford a new car when the old one wears out, and we have money to be generous with, our, our, with other people when God puts that stuff in front of us. I'm not telling you any of that to kind of brag, but just simply to say, I, this has really helped us, and I've seen it help thousands of other people, and I really believe in it, and that's why I'm so committed to it, and I just, I got to believe there's some other people that feel like when you get to this area of your financial house and how ordered it is and whether it's working well or not, I bet a bunch of us could really use some kind of fresh air on this, like some help, maybe a new plan or a radical makeover or even just some tweaks. And to base that on God's word and biblical principles, there's so much wisdom in the scripture on this. So I'm really eager to share this. Again, not because of what God or I or the church or the Bible wants from you, but because of what I genuinely want for you. And uh, if you're new around here, I know it's like, yep, you got it. You came to this church, and here we are talking about money. But don't freak out. Um, hang around, and I invite you to evaluate us. Eva- you know, you should. You should evaluate any church. If they're not accountable or that looks like they spend money in ways that aren't honoring to God or right out of the Bible, you, you shouldn't. You should be very skeptical. So evaluate us. But also, can I just suggest that you evaluate your own motives as well? Because I think a lot of us get kind of hyper-defensive, and the enemy, called Satan, uses that as a way to prevent us from the breakthrough that God intends for us to have in this area of our lives. So don't let your defensiveness outsmart you on this one, and just ask yourself, you know, what's your attitude about this whole deal? Because attitude is way more important than your ability to give, or anything like that, or save, or spend, or whatever. Attitude is key. This is all over the Bible, this idea of attitude. So if you're primarily dreading this or resenting this or feel ashamed or embarrassed or you're angry or miffed or, or whatever or you're afraid that it won't work for you or something like that or like nobody understands my sin, all that can just become a block to you actually hearing. I invite you to just to, to remember that the Bible says the primary attitude we can actually have around the subject of resources in our life is joy. That's what the Bible says. And so some of you know that, and you do have joy. Like when Jesus says in Acts 20, he says, you will be far happier giving than receiving. And some of you are like, I get it. I, I, that is so true for me. And others of you are like, 
mm, that's not your experience at all because this is a source of tension. I just want to say, hang in there and let's keep it 100. And if we want to go 100%, then we've got to start with the words of Jesus. Uh, the words of Jesus in Matthew 22, for example, we can put them up on the screen here. Remember when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with um, 30%... Wait, wait a second. I'm sorry. Wait a second. Let's read that again. Love the Lord your God with, what is it? All. Oh, yeah. And with 43, no, wait, what is that? All, oh, 100% of your soul and with 100% of your mind. Okay? So, yeah, talk about keeping it 100. I remember this 100 emoji. Um, someone told me that it started in Japan with teachers who used it as a stamp that they put on test scores. When you ace the test, you got that 100. And I thought, that's appropriate because every one of us is facing a test. Like every few days, you face a test. And uh, that test happens every time you get paid. (laughs) It happens every time you come into any income, any resource, however much. And you could say it's kind of a heart test. Again, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 6. He says, for where your treasure is, is there your what? Heart will be also. Wherever your resources, income, and so forth are spent or invested, where you put your money is a test of where your heart truly is. It reveals it. How you manage your treasure reveals what you're committed to. So, Jesus again tells an interesting story, and I want to tell it to you because um, I think it's provocative. And it'll really help us kind of think about our own resources and how we go about the money management plan in our life. And then I want to get to the practical part where I share that plan with you. So Luke chapter 12, if you want to open your Bible or get your phone app out or whatever, Luke chapter 12, we're going to follow several verses here. This is one of those places where Jesus is out teaching in public. And so there's like big old crowd. And in the middle of his talk, someone kind of raises their hand and interrupts him with their own personal issue. Verse 13 of Luke chapter 12. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I picture his brother like standing right next to him. He's like, tell, tell my brother, you know, like mommy, you know, Jimmy took my, you know, whatever. It's just like ridiculous. But anyway, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So they're having, in other words, a little family squabble over money. Of course, that would never happen today. This is only Bible time stuff. Um, no one ever argues about money. You know the old saying, where there's a will, there's a relative. <laughs> and <clears throat> that's for sure. This guy, my brother stiffened me here. Dad died, and, and you know what? The stuff's not getting divvied up evenly. Make him do it right, Jesus. In verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator, essentially, between you and me? I'm not going to play Judge Judy with you, buddy, okay? But, but then Jesus seizes the moment, and he speaks an important word for all of them, and I think for all of us. This is what he says in verse 15. But he says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because, here's his punchline, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. There's more to life. So, watch, watch out. Guard your heart on this. Someone said the desire to acquire can go haywire. And Jesus just reminds us that life does not consist in our stuff, and our resources. There's more to life. Jesus doesn't say that resources are bad. Jesus doesn't say that having a lot of them is bad. He doesn't say possessions are evil. He doesn't say any of that. He just says you're not going to find life in them. The problem with greed is not what something costs. It's what it costs us. It's not that we possess something. It's that when the possessions start to possess us, 
and then we begin to obsess with them. There's this thing, and Jesus used the word greed to say it can fool you into thinking what life is all about. And then he tells a provocative story about this very innovative entrepreneur. And we lean in, as Jesus says in verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. So again, here's this guy. He's, 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 doing, well off. he's doing very well off. His plan has come together, and he's earned his money honorably. If Jesus were going to tell the story today, he might say something like this. There's this guy. Uh, who now works downtown Baltimore, and he got a big office down there, and it's going well. He's a real success story. And he drives his Beamer home on a Friday night to his nice brick mansion in Hartford County where he pulls into his four-car garage, and he parks it, and he takes off his coat and heads to his home office, kisses his wife, and he sits down, and, and he sits at his big oak desk, and he opens his laptop because he's got a lot of thinking to do this weekend. He starts looking through his Excel spreadsheets and checking his stock prices of where things are going, and he can't hardly believe his eyes because it's just so, so, lo- so far that he's come since he started this little business in his garage with just you know maxing out his credit card to get started. And now that one-man operation has this staggering return, and he's faced with this huge dilemma. What am I going to do with all that's coming my way? I mean, I've got all this, it's heading up and to the right, and the lights go on. He says in verse 18, he says, I know, I'll tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and I will store my surplus grain. Now again, notice he's not planning to do anything evil with his returns. In fact, maybe he has he clears some things aside and he rolls out these big blueprints for the plans that he has. He's been dreaming about with his architects and his engineers and, 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 he, and he looks at this, the plans for this sprawling new complex he's going to build that will allow him to quadruple his infrastructure and, and ride this wave of prosperity into this whole new era, something he never could have conceived of in his humble blue-collar upbringing days. Uh, and now, even though it's going to be a, a massive commitment, he's done his homework. He's done the ROI. He's done the cost-benefit analysis. He's, he's figured this out, and the projections look great, and he's covered every contingency, and he's just like, man, when I hit the jackpot, you know, you know what he says? Verse 19, he says, I'm going to say to myself, retirement's going to be awesome. He says, I'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I'm just going to take life easy. I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. And, and, and he's thinking about the vacations and the, and, the, and the cruises and the restaurants and the fine wines and the traveling and the theater and the time with the grandkids. And he's like, man, that's going to be the life. Just kind of enjoying a sweet moment there. And right while he's thinking about the life, he feels this tight pressure in his chest, like a, like a squeezing. He's like, oh, that's weird. He says, I should, shouldn't have had that stromboli for lunch. And then it just gets tighter, and then a shooting pain up his arm, and then into his neck, and then into his head, and he begins to sweat. He feels a little dizzy, and he wants to yell for his wife, but he can't speak, and he can't move. And the next thing he knows, he's slumped over in a heap right on top of the plans of his future life. His wife says, well, it's time to go. We're going to go to the Italian restaurant tonight. Uh, the favorite little corner table is waiting for him. And so she goes in and yells at him, doesn't answer. So she goes over and sees him, you know, right there on top of his plans. She says, when is he ever going to slow down? Poor guy's just asleep. Goes over and puts his, her hand on his shoulder and he's warm, but he's motionless. And she figures out he's gone. And just like that, Everything changes. And the autopsy says massive heart attack. 
And the irony is this guy who'd thought of everything, had every contingency worked out, forgot to account for the one thing that everybody can plan on. It's not as if God keeps himself or our death a secret. So as his family gathers and mourns and all of the financial community and the entrepreneurs marvel and celebrate his life and try to emulate him in every way, God has a different word of eulogy for him. Verse 20, God said to him, you fool. You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? Then what about all your plans? So Jesus has a way of kind of getting our attention with these stories, doesn't he? It's worth thinking, what's he getting at here? What's the point of this story? What do you you think this guy's fatal flaw was? Why does Jesus call him a fool? What, What was it, his affluence? I don't think so, not at all. I mean, there's plenty of, he doesn't say that. And there's plenty of people in the Bible who make lots of money and they're affluent, Job, David, Barnabas, Nicodemus. That's not the issue. Was it that, that he grew his wealth or tried to preserve it? No, I don't think so. It doesn't say that. And Jesus, in several other places, rewards and upholds those values of stewardship. What's the fatal flaw? God calls him a fool because he lived with no thought of God. He lived his life as if it was just, you know, I don't know if you noticed, there's like the word me and I is in there all the time. Like, what am I going to do with all my money and my barns and my, 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 me, 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 me. And God's not even in the picture with this guy. He had no thought about God or his place in God's world or God's place in his world. He had no thought of honoring God, no thought of expressing gratitude to God, no thought of even acknowledging that God was the giver of everything he had. And Psalm 14 says, the fool is the one who says, there's no God and I live my life just however I want. Maybe he thought one day I'll get around to it, but you know what? That day never came, and he was one of those guys that was busy making a living and forgot about what's real life. And Jesus says, don't be fooled about what real life is. It's not in the abundance of your possessions. And verse 21, he says to me and to you, this is how it'll be for any one of us, you, me included, if we're not rich toward God. Jesus wasn't criticizing his affluence. He was criticizing his arrogance. And so, how do we avoid that mistake, and how do we live with a thought of God? How do we bring God into this area of our life, like this guy forgot, so that when you croak, you're not a fool? (laughs) Well, I want to tell you about that three-part financial plan that's been so helpful to Carla and me, and I want to just share it with, with you, okay? And, and you, I call it, you could call it the 100 plan because it's the 100 series, so we got to call it the 100 plan. Uh, but um, you could also call it the 10 plus 10 plus 80 plan, okay? And if you notice, 10 plus 10 plus 80 equals, hey, you guys are a sharp group. Here's how it works. The first 10 stands for 10% of your income that's given first to honor God by tithing. Returning to God a portion through the local church where you serve and worship and are a part of and trying to advance the work of God, you bring that first and you give that. That's what the first 10 represents. So every time you get paid, there's a test. Who are you going to put first? Who are you going to thank first? Now, the truth is, a lot of us thank Visa first. Thank Walmart first or Amazon first or the mortgage company or BG&E or whatever, right? 
You might want to ask this question. Can Visa bless your life? Can, can Walmart bless your finances? Will BG&E bless your life or your finances? No, but, but God can. And when we honor God first, he promises to bless the rest. The second 10, so 10, 10, 80. The second 10 is about saving, and it's about, it's about putting something aside. It's, and, and we're going to talk somewhat more about this next week, because this is the fun one for a lot of us, because it's, it's like it seems out of reach or hard, but if you do this, especially exercising the miracle of compound interest, amazing things can happen. We'll talk about that next week. And then the last one is 80, 10, 10, and 80, and that's, that's basically... Everything else that you have, you 10% tie, 10% saving, and then 80% is what you use to live on. So some call that plan the tithe, save, spend plan. 10, 10, 80. God, me, me. In that order. Now let's go back and talk about that first one just for a little bit today, that tithe bucket. And we've got to remind ourselves, so what's the big deal with tithing? I've heard, maybe you've never heard that word. Maybe it's brand new to you, or maybe you thought you've had it, but you misunderstand it. Why, what's important about it? Deuteronomy 14 answers this question. Here's the question of why it's important. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God, what? First. Put God first. To keep it real. Keep it 100%. Like, be real with God. That's the test. Will you put God first or not? And if you're going to say, yes, I want to make him the Lord of my life, I want him to be in my life, and all of that, well then, here's the test to see if you actually mean it, and that test is called the tithe. It tests whether you actually put God first or not. Now, the word tithe is simply a mathematical term. It just means tenth, one-tenth. That's why we say 10%. And the idea of a tithe goes way back, um, way back, even before biblical times, other cultures and, and um, nations used the tithe. And so it's no surprise then. For example, we come to places like Genesis 14, 20. And, and here is Abram. God has given him a victory in a battle. And his instinctive response is to sort of thank God and say, God, 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 I just want to give you a tenth of Abra- everything. So it was a, no one commanded him. It was just something that came out of his heart he wanted to do. Same thing in Genesis 28. Jacob has that beautiful encounter with God. God had blessed him. Remember Jacob's ladder, that whole story? And he was just like, oh, I'm so moved. I want to mark this moment. And he just says, I want to get, it gives 10% to God as a way of just saying. So I think these guys understood something that we have to understand or tithing will never make sense. And that is that everything belongs to God in the first place. All we're doing when we tithe is returning a portion. We're not, we're not giving a tithe, really. We're returning a portion because everything belongs to God. God owns it all. Like Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8, 18 says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? I mean, can you name something? The answer is no. And if all you have is from God, why would you ever boast as though you've accomplished something on your own? You say, well, I've earned this. I worked hard for this. I did overtime. Or this, I, I, I built this business. I, I, I created this nest egg. This is mine. And 1 Corinthians 4 says, no, don't be like the guy in the story. Remember the Lord your God. Because he's the one who even gave you the ability to produce wealth in the first place. If you got two nickels, it's from God. It all starts with, it reminds me of that lady. She's in the airport, and she buys one of those little packages of Oreo cookies, getting ready to wait for her flight. She goes and sits down uh, on some of those chairs, you know, and, and uh, on the other side of this table, there, there, there's a guy that she's never seen in her life, and the package of cookies is there on the table between them, and as she's sitting there, you know, starting to read her mag- get her magazine out and everything like that, the guy sitting over there right next to her reaches over, opens the package of Oreos, and takes one out and starts eating it. 
She's just like, she can't really believe it. And she tries to get eye contact with him. And when, when he does, he just kind of smiles and nods. <laughs> so she reaches over and takes one out of there. And she starts chomping on it and looks at him a little frustrated. And he just smiles and nods again. She can, she can hardly believe it, the nerve of this guy. Now she's getting a little upset and munching it with attitude. He keeps taking one. She keeps taking one. It goes like that all the way down. And pretty soon, there's only one cookie left. And he takes the last one, breaks it in half, and offers half to her. She's like, I can't stand this anymore. She gathers her stuff, and she gets up, and she fumes down the tarmac and gets on her plane. She sits down on her rump, and she reaches in her purse. And there she pulls out her own unopened package of Oreo cookies. She'd been eating his cookies the whole time. <laughs> Didn't even know it. And sometimes I think when, when we get kind of bent out of shape a little bit about this whole subject, it says we forget who owns all the Oreos. We just forget, like, it's okay to share with God they're his. It's okay. God owns all the cookies. So tithing is simply the way that God asks us to remember who owns the cookies. The biblical word that is used over and over again in the Bible is the idea of first fruits. It says all of God's people should bring their first fruits, the first Oreos, to God. So whether you're raising crops, growing fruit on trees, or, or, or doing stocks, or working at McDonald's, you, know, you bring the first fruits. Exodus 23, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord. Bring the best and the first off the top to God before you take care of all your bills, before you buy a new iPhone or rethatch the roof or get a new goat, before. So that's the idea, this whole idea. And that's why eventually this instinctive response called the tithe becomes a command that everyone should do all the time. And later in the Bible, that's exactly what happens. Leviticus 27, a tithe of the produce from the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, a tenth belongs to the Lord. It's his. So your job is to return it and, you, and, and set it apart to him as holy, meaning belonging to God. So you see, a tithe that honors God, it gets our heart right, reminds us who's first in our lives, keep it real with God, and then it also advances the work of God because those are the funds then that the priests would use in the old days and today still we use to advance the agenda and the mission of God in ways that honor God. So it should never be a legalistic command but when we get to Jesus in the New Testament and the early Christians, Jesus accepted and practiced the tithe and he expected his disciples to do the same. And he reminds us that it's never an obligation, but in fact, we're back to that word joy. The attitude's important. So 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, for example, says in the New Testament, now Christians on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ should just know that every person should give whatever they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but because God loves a cheerful giver. So yeah, they started with the tithe, but some of them gave more because they were just hilariously having fun with it. So that's why we say every week around here, don't give out of obligation. Don't be a grumpy pants about it. If you don't, if you don't get it that Jesus loved you and gave his life for you, man, you're not, you're not getting it. We're not interested in milk and cows, you know, like, come on, Bessie, give. The baby's got to live. No, we, it's, not, it's not the offering around here. No, no, no. We're just, it's for people who get that God owns your Oreos and you want to obey him and invite his light into every area of your life, including this one, so you can see what he would do if you dare trust him. That's what it's about. So let's go back to the plan. 10, 10, 80. Tithe, save, live. Okay? That's what these containers represent. Maybe you figured that out. What's the first one? Tithe, 10. What's the second one? Save, 10. What's this one? 
spend 80. So the, this one's first. And that's where it's important to remember it kind of starts there. So whether you make a literal or a lot, what God wants every believer to do is to fill that one first. And my best understanding of this would be to bring to the storehouse, to give to my church where I worship and serve and advance the kingdom, I would give that 10% there. Why? Remember what the Bible says? Because it teaches me to put God first. Now, I'll be honest. I've, I've known about tithing longer than I've done it really well. And, and there, were lot, there was a period in my life when I was a young adult where I didn't enjoy this at all. And I didn't do it very well at all. And, and the, the reason was I told myself, well, I don't have much money. I'll do it later. I also told myself that, well, here's the real reason. It was getting in the way of acquiring what I thought I could acquire if I didn't tithe. I thought, well, I don't have very much money, and I won't be able to do anything if I tithe. So I didn't very well. And do you know what has completely changed my perspective and why today I'd be afraid not to tithe because of all the blessing that I feel in my life as a result? Why I'm today glad in my mind and my heart to do it? You know what changed my mind? I'll tell you. One night I was in bed, and an angel of the Lord came into my room. And fluttered his wings, and I, and I woke up, and I looked up, and there was a bright light, and an angelic choir, whoa, and all of a sudden, I felt a magical feeling in my heart, and I just loved tithing. <laughs> Actually, that didn't happen to me. Actually, that doesn't happen to anybody. You want to know what changed my mind and my heart about tithing? I began doing it. I began doing it. I began taking God's word seriously on this, and I just said, oh, I'll try this. I started, I started paying attention to what I was actually making because I didn't really know. And I started figuring out what 10% of that would be because I didn't know that either. And I began figuring out a system because I didn't have a plan. And I figured it out how to do that, and I had a little checkbook and all that. I began doing it. And, and, and it has changed my heart and my mind on that, but it didn't change until I started doing it. And some of you are like, well, I'm not feeling it. Um, my heart isn't there yet. It's like, well, it never will be. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be. He didn't say, when your heart's ready. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You put your treasure first, you start tithing, and you'll figure out why you love it. That's the first container, the tithe. What's the next one? Save, 10%. We're talking more about that next week because that's really a fun one. And just a way that uh, I don't think a lot of us take that seriously enough. There's so much biblical wisdom on that. I want to just kind of talk a little bit about that next week. And the third one is spend, live. Yes, that's it. 80%. And that's everything. Your housing, your clothing, your food, your insurance, your taxes, your entertainment, your Girl Scout cookies, your garbage bags, your groceries, everything. Okay? You could call this faith, future, and food, furniture, fun, and everything else. And every dollar you spend goes into one of these three buckets, one of these three containers. So we'll get practical, and we'll do a little illustration here to see how this works. Guess what? I got your whole salary right here. Bad news is for you, it's only 50 bucks. <laughs> I got 10 $5 bills, okay? That represents what any of us might get in a certain time period, okay? So how does this work? Where do I start? I just got paid. Where do I start? Who do I pay? Where do I, where do I start? Yeah, oh, we're in church. Everyone says, we start with the tithe. Yeah, here's the reality. Most people, even some people who are God's people, start here because the obligations are there. The bill's right in front of me. I pay BG&E. I pay my mortgage. I pay all this stuff that's right there. In fact, the truth is, for most of us, the whole thing goes in here, and that's where the struggle and the juggle happens, and there never seems to be enough, and it's frustrating in the margins. We just start buying and hoping that it all works out. It rarely does, but that's it. And so it's a me, me, me plan. And for, if that's where you are, like the reality is everything you make, you just spend, 
or you spend on you, this idea of saving something for, for future is sort of a nice idea that you never get around to. And this over here is like a fantasy, like give. Uh, that's great for some people, but maybe some rich people, but not for me because I got too many bills. And so that's, that's how that plan looks. Some people do start here. They just, the first thing they do is they put some money away to save it, which is another sort of me. The rest goes over here then usually. It's sort of a me, me plan as well. So whether you're a reckless spender or a super saver, if you're not starting here, then God's not first. And if you don't put God first in your finances, according to the Bible, you're not putting God first at all. That's a, a tough teaching, but it's what the Bible says. So the best way that I've learned to express this is, here's a principle I figured out a while back. If you really want to put something first, then you actually have to put it first. If something's a priority, then it's got to be first in sequence. And that's the best way to demonstrate that something is first in a priority, is to put it first in sequence. You know what I mean by that? So like, so like you, know, you all know, I just got back from Kilimanjaro a little bit ago. So I was gone for, what is it, 10 or 12 days, climbing on this mission trip, right? And I'm gone, I'm missing my wife and everything. As soon as I, let's just say, as soon as I land and get back on coverage on my phone, I text her and say, oh, baby, you're number one to me. You're first place in my life. I can't wait to see you and be with you. And then we drive back from the airport, and I get back here. And, uh, and as soon as I get back in Hereford County, I, I, um, I head off and I play a round of golf. And then I'm right there by the tennis courts, and I got my racket in my trunk. I, like a play. I see a buddy who's able to play a little bit of tennis. That'd be fun. And then, and then it's like I come by the office and I knock out a few hours of email because I'm so far behind and it's important. I got to get to it. And then I run some errands and I'm starved, so I go out to eat. About eight hours later after I land, I come home and I say, honey, you're the most important thing. I can't wait to see you. I just love you so much. Now, what do we know right now? Okay? First thing we know is someone else is preaching next week because I'll be in the hospital. Okay? <laughs> Other than that, what do we know? Here's what we know. We know that whatever I say or just said to my wife about how number one she is, I didn't really demonstrate it because you... You show priority by sequence. And if I meant it, I would have seen her first. And that's how some of us are going about our financial... The the scriptures say, bring the first fruits off the top. Actually make it first. God says, do you trust me? If you do, put me first. And a lot of us are handling our money the opposite. And it's why... We're frustrated that God isn't in our lives and blessing every area of our life because we haven't turned this over to him. Here's what God's word said. Start here. Invest there first. 10%. And then put something aside. If you can do 10%, some say more, anything you can do is a win. And then and then pay your housing and pay your bg e and get the shoes for the kids and go to a movie and go on vacation and get a recliner Put new siding on the house and take Ben out to eat. And do whatever you want with that, as long as it honors God. And if you're living in a way that doesn't look like this, and you're not sort of under the umbrella of, of God's provision in your life, and if you're flipping around in a, in a way where everything's here, and it just feels chaotic, and you may feel like I, it's too messed up, and I'm way in debt. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week, too. Some real help and encouragement. There's also a class, Financial Peace University, that a lot of us are taking right now, and I highly recommend that. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Start here. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. 
take care of this first, and then the thing that the guy wanted when he was going to build bigger barns, that will take place. But God can't do his part until you do yours. Let me ask you, close with two questions. A couple of questions to close. Am I trusting God with everything? I mean, really, are you trusting God? Do you really trust God? And if so, are you showing it in this area of your life? I know it's hard, but do you know what? Not only is this a test for you, God says, it's a test for me. It's the only area in the Bible where God says, test me. You just see. Try it. I dare you. And you just see what happens in your life. And God invites us. God is saying, in other words, 90%, 80%. This 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% on your own. So literally, if you make $5,000 a month, God is saying $4,500 with God is better off and will go further and be better blessed than $5,000 on your own. I don't know how to explain that to your accountant or your math teacher, but that's what the Bible is teaching us here. And I've seen it true in my own life and so many other lives. When you give God first and best, he promises to bless the rest. Here's another question for you. Not only are you really trusting God, like for real, you keep it 100%, in this area, number two, are you robbing God? Robbing God. You ever been ripped off? You ever had someone break in your car or like your apartment or house or something? It's like, it feels very bad. And God says there's a very unusual theft victim in the Bible. In Malachi, verse 8 of chapter 3, God asks, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And the people ask, well, how are we robbing you? And his answer, in your tithes and your offerings. Because it belongs to God, and they weren't returning it. They would get themselves in these financial predicaments, and they'd say, well, I know how to fix this. We'll just take the tithe that we were going to give to God, and we'll use that to balance our budget. We're supposed to go honor God and keep him first, but we'll do this and maybe hope that takes care of itself. And they say, and God says, that, that's robbing me. So I know this would never happen today, but let's just say someone goes to Costco or you know, BJ's or Walmart or whatever. You get some groceries, and by the time you go up and down the aisles, you end up with some furniture and a flat screen and some other things you never intended. But it's like, man, how am I going to pay for all this? They say, I know. You know, that money we were going to tie it to God, and his work, uh, we'll use that to balance our budget. And God says, "Ah, yeah, you just robbed me. And in the process, you robbed yourself of the blessing that comes. You put God first and just trust him in this area of your life. How about you? Are you robbing God? We sing these songs, like even today. We're going to sing our praises louder. He's the king of my heart, amazing grace. There's 10,000 reasons and all that. And I just wonder if it ever sounds odd to Malachi or to God. We sing those songs with our mouth, but then we're not actually putting God first. I wonder if the words sound hollow to him. So here's the deal. I just want to, I want to encourage you to practice this plan, 10 10, 80. And I want to, the hard part, the, the part that you need to get started on is right here. And so it's a 100-day tithing challenge. Here you go. I figured it out. From now to the end of the year is 100 days. And guess what? It's the 100 series, so it must be from God. <laughs> 100 days. 100-day tithing challenge. Here it is. This, you know what? If you're brand new here or you're freaked out by this or you think someone's jamming you on this, just let it go. This isn't for you. If you don't trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this isn't for you. But you know what? I also want to say something to this. If you're one of these people at Mountain, and there are so many who are faithfully tithing or giving beyond, I just want to say thank you and way to go for putting on a clinic for us about faithfulness, and you keep strong and modeling what that joy looks like in this area of your life. But I want to say something to those of you who would say, Mountain's my church home. You come here, you hang out here, 
I, I just I want to see something. I think there's a real change that can happen in a lot of our relationship. This thing can catapult your faith in God like nothing else. So I'll be honest with you. I love this church, and I'm not embarrassed to tell you I love you. I love opening this word. And a lot of times what I love is bringing a word of comfort to the afflicted from this word. But part of my job is also to bring all of this word, and sometimes it feels like I'm bringing affliction to the comfortable. And it might feel like that today for some of you, and I, I, I know that, but it's what I want for you, not from you. And I have a concern that some of us are here enjoying and benefiting and getting the blessing of God and the experience of everything that's happening as a result of your being at mountain, but you're, you're at risk of becoming a consumer, like a person who receives and soaks up but, does, but is a spectator. And some of us are spending more on shampoo and pizza than we are on honoring God in our lives. And so I just say, maybe it's time for some of us to get beyond some of that and start trying to trust God in this area, like bring the light into this area, take a step forward. And get rid of some of the excuses and test God. I trust God for my prayers being answered. I trust God for my salvation. I trust him to forgive my sin. I trust him for my eternal life. But you won't trust him with dollars and cents. And it doesn't make any sense. So today you could change all that. So 100 Day Challenge, that's what it's about. Starting today, from now to the end of the year. I'm just going to challenge you to commit to that first 10% of your income to the Lord through this church and trust it and see what happens. 100-day tithing challenge. Here it is. We even got a little thing. I, gotta, I asked the tech guys, figure it out. So here we got it. You can, you can start right now if you've never done this. I, I would love to see some of you take this and you, tithe, you write the word tithe to that number. You can do it right now. And we'll send you a little text back, a little place for you to sign up and say, I'm in. So, you know, it's, just gonna, it's just you saying, I'm going to try this. That's all it is. And I hope you do. Pray about it. Think about it. Try it. God says, test me in this. And I know that some of you really do want to be inside God's economic favor uh, on this, but you're afraid because of the realities of this bucket. I get it. And some of you are like, what if it doesn't work, or I made a mistake, or this is a scam? I get it. Here's, here's my thing. If this will help you, if you wholeheartedly test God on this, and you feel like at the end of 100 days it was a mistake, it didn't work, you regret it, you don't see God in it. You can't feel like you're experiencing the blessing of God in your life. Just come and let us know. And as long as it's a recorded gift, we'll write a check for every penny and give it right back to you. Money back guarantee. If that'll help you, try it. And if it would help you to go to some other church, like tithe it to some other church. If you think there's something about this, you know, I'd rather have you give it to another church than be here and not trust God. Because that's, I so badly want for you to move forward in your faith. And you'll be glad. So, whether you're here or any of our campuses worshiping online, that's one way you could do it. It's a test. It's a test of God and of you. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your word. It is uh, sometimes so refreshing, and we welcome it, and it's like water on parched earth, and then other days it feels like a thorn. It's like, Really? But God, we're just trying our best to come to you and open up every area of our life and to trust you. And so I pray that people here will feel the freedom and the joy and the peace that comes in their finances when they trust you. Help people to take steps in that direction. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus who gave everything for us. Amen. Well, let's stand together as we respond.